0: Turn your Bibles to Mark 4 if you have them with you. Uh, we will have the scriptures on the screen, but sometimes it's better to see it all. Mark 4. Let me review where we've been so far the past few weeks. Mark chapter 1 highlights the authority of Jesus, and then chapter 2 highlights the conflicts of Jesus because of that authority, and then chapter 3 shows Jesus establishing a new family, a new people of God. And today in Mark 4, we have another case where Mark has grouped a bunch of Jesus' teachings together with one common denominator, one main theme, and it's a chapter made up of several parables. And the central concern of the parables of Mark 4 is the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Verse 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Verse 30, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? In fact, the presence and the coming of the kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. The central message of Jesus wasn't baptism, it wasn't faith, it wasn't the resurrection. Jesus' main message was about the kingdom. His teachings were designed to show men how they can enter the kingdom. His mighty works and miracles were intended to prove that the kingdom has come. His parables illustrated truths about the kingdom of God. In fact, the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy king, Okay, stop. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is heaven. Well, what is this kingdom of God? Well, a kingdom has a king. God, Jesus, they're our king. A kingdom also has subjects. We are his subjects. A kingdom has territory. God's territory is the whole world. And until Jesus came, this kingdom was run by a rival, illegitimate prince, kind of like the sheriff of Nottingham in the Robin Hood story. But when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God is at hand, Prince John has come back. God is conquering this rival prince, setting up his kingdom here and now. He's reclaiming what is rightfully his. Now there's still pockets of resistance in his kingdom, and there's enemies of the kingdom, and there's a lot of work to be done. But his kingdom is advancing and will win and control everything someday. That's the good news. God's kingdom will come, and it is in the process of coming. I want to look at one of the most famous of Jesus' parables about the kingdom, the seed and the soil, Mark 4, starting verse 3. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that it did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has years to hear, let him hear. I'm going to look at the two most obvious, simple items in this text, seed and soil. What do these two metaphors of seed and soil say about the kingdom of God? What's Jesus trying to convey through these images? First of all, the seed. If you go down to verse 30, he says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Of all the metaphors Jesus could have selected for the kingdom, why a seed? What is it about a seed that aptly describes Jesus' ministry? Well, for one thing, a seed would convey the quiet nature of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a violent inbreaking of God's power like we think of a worldly kingdom coming to take territory. One reason people doubted Jesus was the Messiah is he didn't look like a Messiah. Even John the Baptist asked, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else we don't see horses and chariots and marching armies, and yet you say the kingdom of God is, is coming and is here. Could the kingdom actually be present in such an insignificant ministry as Jesus? So Jesus tells these parables of the, that the kingdom is like a seed, it begins in a small way, it even looks weak, and yet, as he says in verse 30, when planted... It grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So Jesus said, my ministry looks small, but be assured, the kingdom is present and it will grow. And of course, today we know Christ is known all over the world. His kingdom is growing. The seed parable also conveys the kingdom will succeed. It starts like a mustard seed, becomes a large plant. In our parable, some of the seed will hit hard path and nothing will come of it. Some will land on rocky soil, and it'll, some on thorny soil, and they won't produce. But some will land on receptive soil and will produce an amazing harvest. Some people have called Mark IV the great assurance. In the midst of doubts about Jesus' ministry, these parables assure us that God's work is carrying on, His mission will not be thwarted, the kingdom will grow just like seeds. If the seed is spread, it will produce a harvest. Now, frankly, there's times as a church we look like we're losing there are times the enemy is strong, looks like he's in control. There are times the church is limping. There are times the subject of God's kingdom look pretty average. But the kingdom, like seeds that are planted, will produce and will succeed. In verse 26, six, he tells another one. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The seed will produce. But what is the seed? In verse 14, Jesus explains our parable and He begins by explaining what the seed is. He said, the farmer sows the Word. The seed is the Word of God. And the assurance is if we plant the Word... If we spread the word, God will make it grow all by itself. Farmers never make a crop grow. All they can do is plant, fertilize, and pray. And the church is the same way. It's a supernatural institution. And God gives the increase. We're just the planters. We witness. We work. We heal. We do the things Jesus did. We love our neighbors. uh, We invite people to church. That's all part of planting the word. We do our part in the kingdom. But the harvest is not dependent on our work. All we can do is just... All we can know is for sure is that there will be a harvest if we plant the seed. So the seed imagery encourages us to keep planting. The farmer, in our parable, quite frankly, is a crummy farmer. Basically, wherever he goes, he's just throwing seed. Wouldn't it be more efficient and, and more selective in throwing the seed? Wouldn't that be the better way to do it? You know, why would you throw seed out on Highway 21, 121, for instance? It's not going to do any good there. But just as God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust, Jesus sows the word on good soil and bad soil. No one's excluded. He sows seed with the Pharisees and the prostitutes, old people, children, to the rich, the poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile. He wants everyone to receive the word. Which raises a question for us today. There's some people who say charity begins at home, and I don't believe in foreign missions. I've heard that. Well, then you don't believe in the Bible. And you don't really believe what Jesus says about the kingdom or what He wants. He wants the seed to go everywhere. It raises questions about refusing to send money to missionaries in Japan or maybe the Middle East, for instance, because Japan and the Middle East, those are hard fields and it's a waste of time and a waste of money. Well, Jesus wants the seed sown there too. I remember uh, uh, through my ministry I've called on people you know, I'll call on someone once or twice and invite them to church and there's no response and I just figure, well, that's hard soil. Nothing's going to happen. And then six months later, I'll look out on a Sunday morning and say, well, they're so-and-so. I'd given up on that seed. But God was working and they they were actually good soil and I didn't even know it. I'm amazed at the power of seeds. I've got some little cracks in my driveway at home. How in the world can a plant get through those things? And and they, they do. It's almost a miracle. And the first reason for these parables is to give assurance that although Jesus' ministry looks small, and sometimes it looks like we're not winning, the kingdom is present, God is working, and our efforts will produce. Yeah, there'll be some who reject it, but there will be a harvest. So the seed encourages us. It will produce. The soils, on the other hand, warn us. There will be different responses to the word. One of the key words in Mark 4 is the first word of our parable where Jesus says, listen. And that word is translated either hear or listen and is used 13 times in this chapter and that's a lot. Verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. Verse 12, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, consider carefully what you listen to or what you hear. Now, we all know there's different levels of hearing, especially if you're a parent-child or husband and wife, even friends. There's the physical act of hearing where sound waves reach our ears and it sends a uh, a, a signal to the brain and we hear. There's an elderly couple sitting on the bench in the cool of the evening and they sat in silence until the woman said something that she intended to be a romantic comment. She said, I'm proud of you, old man. And her hard of hearing husband turned and cupped his ear and said, what was that? And... Probably not quite like that, but anyway, she leaned over to him and she said it again and she meant it in a very positive way and she was smiling said, I said, I'm proud of you, old man. And he looked at her in bewilderment and he huffed in response, Well, I'm tired of you too, old woman. (laughs) Physical deafness is a huge handicap. In fact, some people think deafness is a worse handicap than blindness because communication is so difficult. So there's physical hearing, which is very important, but there's other levels of hearing, for instance, comprehension. Like the husband's watching the Super Bowl and the wife is talking to him and he says, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and she says, you didn't even hear me. Well, yeah, he did. Sound waves got to his ears and a signal was sent to the brain, but that's where it pretty much stopped. Physically, he heard, but he didn't listen. It is estimated that we hear less than 20% of what is said to us, which is bad news for preachers and for many people. And after Jesus tells his parable on the seed and soil, he says these words. He says, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, here's why he told parables, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, I might turn and be forgiven. It's one thing to be given the secret of the kingdom. It's another to Get it to comprehend. Some just won't get it. There were some in Jesus' day, they just didn't comprehend. They hear, but they do not understand. They see, but do not get it. So physical hearing is not enough. Comprehension. Do you get it? Third level of hearing, this is both Old and New Testament, is obedience. I remember my dad, when scolding us, would say often, Do you hear me? Oh, I heard him very clearly. And I understood, I comprehended, but he meant more than that. Are you going to do it? Are you going to take this into your behavior? Are you going to obey? Hearing and obedience go hand in hand biblically and with my dad as well. And all four of these soils hear the word, but they all hear at different levels. And starting in verse 15, Jesus explains these different levels. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The first hear is the hard soil. He's the deaf here, I call him. Now, that's an oxymoron. Some hear the word, but it's like they were deaf. They didn't hear it. Satan's plugged their ears. For some, the seed's going to be of no avail, no matter what Jesus says or what he does. We've already seen in Mark that the religious leaders view his word as a threat, and even his own family consider him crazy. Those who should be best positioned... To understand the authority of Jesus are precisely those who don't get it. And they contest his authority the most. They hear, but they are deaf. Verse 16. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the rocky soil hears. He he gets baptized, joins the church, and he's excited. They like what they hear. But the word just doesn't go very deep. There's a layer of rock that won't allow the root to sink deep into that nourishing soil. So when times of joy subside and times of difficulty arise, the plant shrivels and dies. So the rocky soil I'd call the superficial here. The crowds were like that. They were excited when Jesus taught. They were excited when He did miracles. They were excited when He said what they wanted to hear. But when suffering looms on the horizon, and when he talks about the cost of discipleship, they fizzle quickly. There's an old story, I remember, of a guy who were in the backwoods of Kentucky, and he could be counted on to show up at revival meetings whenever an evangelist came to town. How many of you remember revival meetings? Yeah, uh, yeah okay. I uh, don't have them much anymore, but at the end of each service, of course, an invitation was given down, and given, and they would have people come down front and usually sing something like, just as I am. And this man would come down every revival meeting, and he would get on his knees and raise his arms to heaven and say, fill me, Jesus, fill me, fill me, Jesus. And then within a week or two, he'd be back to his old ways. Nothing really changed. Next revival would come. He'd come down front at the invitation time, fill me, Jesus, fill me, fill me, Jesus, and go back to his old ways in a couple weeks. And there's one time he came down at a revival. They were singing, Just As I Am. He got on his knees, raised his hand, arms to heaven, and said, Fill me, fill me, Jesus, fill me, fill me. When at the back of the church, some yell, lady yelled out, Don't do it, Lord. He leaks. <laughs> and the truth is, we all leak. And it's easy to backslide, especially when we go through trials. But some people leak to death. They just don't last. I'm told that in AA... Reaching the five-year anniversary of sobriety is an important milestone, but even those who make it five years, half will eventually fall away. Statistics tell us 50% of those on church rolls are no longer active. People who at one time made some sort of decision, they heard the word, they walked down the aisle, fully intending to live for Christ, today are far from God. The seed just doesn't go deep enough. Verse 18. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This soil hears it, accepts it, grows, but's choked. Now notice, this plant doesn't wither or die like the rocky soil. This one just becomes unfruitful. The plant continues to live, just doesn't produce. The weedy soil would be the nominal here. This one still may be in church on a somewhat regular basis. They may give to church, but their life is so full of weeds, they are unproductive. And Jesus lists these weeds. Worry. When the worries of life dominate, you start focusing on your problems instead of focusing on God. Another weed is the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth fools us. It tricks us into thinking life is okay, or maybe that it brings our security. And if we believe that money can do that for us, we'll pursue money and success and not God, and God is choked. Third weed is a desire for things, the mantra of more. If I just had better clothes, better car, uh, better house, we chase superficial objects rather than the things that we really need. Now, many would like to have it both ways on this one. Want to pursue wealth and things and still be faithful to God? And Jesus said, you can't. It's like serving two masters. And it'll strangle your commitment to God. You become nominal and unproductive. I believe this is the American church right here. All three of these weeds take the focus away from the kingdom of God. Worry, I focus on my problems instead of God's kingdom. Wealth, I focus on my success instead of God's will. And the desire for things, I focus on the world and not the next. And often this choking is spiritual, is, is gradual. It's not, it is spiritual, but it's also gradual. These weeds aren't bad things. They just overtake the seed, the word. Then verse 20, the fourth soil. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The good soil is the responsive here. The soil hears and accepts it, and here's the difference, produces a crop. 30, 60, 100 times. The best part of my job is right here. This is the soil that makes my job a joy. The responsive soil does three things that the other soils do not. He welcomes the word so it cannot be snatched away by Satan like the hard soil. He welcomes it deeply so that he won't be withered by persecution like the the rocky soil. And he welcomes it exclusively so that other concerns don't strangle it out like the thorny soil. And it is amazing, I've been amazed over the years, what a committed believer can produce for the kingdom of God. It's just beautiful. Les Evans was our youth minister before Jared, and most of you remember Les. And I knew Les back in high school uh, when he was at Central A&M in Moequa. And to be honest, I never thought Les Evans would become a missionary. There's no way he would become a missionary. And I won't divulge any details about that, but I'll say he's a walking miracle. He's good soil, and I didn't know it. Some of you, I've heard stories about some of you. He's an elder? She's teaching Sunday school? No way. Somehow, the power of the seed got through. Lee Strobel has written several books, including The Case for Christ and The Case for a Creator. And one of our classes is actually doing a video series based on his work. And Lee Strobel is an effective defender of the Christian faith today. And he tells about his earlier non-Christian years. He was actually an atheist. He uh, drank a lot. He admittedly said, I was a bad dad, and I wasn't a very good husband. And then his wife went to church. And I'm guessing she went partly out of desperation. And Lee eventually, I don't know what all brought but he went with her one Sunday, and he, make a long story short, got converted. And his five-year-old girl said once about him, I want God to do for me what God did to Daddy. The change was noticeable, to his five-year-old. The seed is powerful. It's amazing what it can do when it takes root in people. So Jesus is encouraging here. The word of God will not return void. And if we plant seeds, there will be a harvest. Throw the seed everywhere, even where you think it has no chance to grow. You think it's hard soil? You never know. There's a lady in one church. This is back in Robinson. I remember she had fiery red hair and the personality to match it. And uh, she was in her mid-fifties. And I was like in my early 30s, so it kind of intimidated me. She started coming to church, very opinionated and all that, and I remember going over and visiting with her and her husband and talking to them about baptism because they'd never made a commitment, and she said, Mark, I like the church, I like your services and all that, but you'll never dunk me in that baptistry. I didn't say anything, didn't dare say anything. So they continued to come to worship, uh, came to Sunday school. Six months later, she came forward and we dunked her. Eventually, they became key leaders in the church, small group leaders, and eventually her husband became an elder, and they were, they're were key in that church today. Not everyone who hears will accept it, and some will fizzle out, and some will be nominal, but God will bring a harvest. There is power in the Word, in the seed, and it will multiply 30, 60, 100 times. And what Jesus is wanting to do is tell Do some seed planting. Do some seed planting this week. Throw it everywhere. And watch what God does with it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that has come to us, to every one of us today. And thank you for the power that is in that word to transform and to change and to save. I want to thank you that someone spread the word to me. And someone spread the word to each one of us here. And our prayers that we would be good soil that we produce. I pray, Lord, that we would grow deeper in you, deeper with one another and in your word. And Lord, pull the weeds out of our life. Give us the strength to resist this world around us that wants to squeeze the word out of us. And may we be word spreaders, knowing that the word will produce a harvest. Spreading the word through our generosity through good works, and just by being holy unto You, Lord, may we be a seed planting church. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.